Qui est le poète? Who is a poet? is a bilingual podcast in English and French brought to you by Revue Révolution, a polymath review of poetry based in New York with branches in Paris and London. We reflect on poetry, art, the poet-artist sacred mission for the collective with guest poets and artists on the show. We honor our masters of the past who have walked the path before us and fathered our desire to create. We love poets and artists of the present who excel, serve culture, and bring us closer to our inner selves and embody beauty, harmony, transcendence, and oneness. Their creative process and existential journey is at the heart of our discussions. Here, at Qui est le Poète, and also at Revue Révolution, we believe poets and artists are one, channeling the self with different elements. We learn from poets and artists while they are alive and can receive the tokens of our affection. Our mission is to show how creators of culture and polymaths are born, live, thrive, and you may not want to hear it, but also die. Welcome. I am your poetic host. My name is Muriel Mobingo, and now you know who poets are. Sen Gupta is an Indian poet, an architect by training, and a human resources manager by profession. He lives in Kolkata. Author of Ashoka Adali, a mattered treasure in 12 stanzas which narrates a seminal moment in the Asian subcontinent history, Sen Gupta will be the apotheosis of our fifth issue in spring 2023. In this last season's episode, we discuss his wonderful poem, great books about poetry by Stephen Fry and James Fenton, the levels of abstraction every poet and artist need to know, how form follows function in architecture, and that includes poetry, Tagore the polymath, and Krishna who needs no introduction. Suravzen Gupta, welcome, bienvenue. Suravzen Gupta, thank you very much for joining us. What a pleasure thank to you, have Muriel, you. Thank you, Muriel, for having me. Yeah, what a pleasure to have you. Um, I wanted to congratulate you again for your beautiful poem. My God, we had the chills reading it and we loved every bit of it. The, the, the rhythm, the language, the story, everything was perfect. What was your inspiration for writing a poem like that? Uh, well, uh, first of all, thank you for your kind words. I, I'm really thrilled that you uh, liked my uh, poem on Ashoka. Mm -hmm. uh, if you uh, speak of inspiration, I, I guess uh, I'm generally interested in history. Yes. Uh, from an early age, I've been, uh, I mean, history has been one of my favorite subjects. I've been reading history and yes. uh, I've been traveling all over the country, yes. visiting all our uh, 
all the Indian uh, archaeological sites. So uh-huh. this is one place that I also visited when I was a kid, okay. which was the battle, battlefield of Kalinga. And and we study about this this particular event in our in our schools as well because it's yeah. it's a very transformational event for for the subcontinent because if you look at the spread of uh, the Buddha's message Buddhism as as yes. a as a philosophy as a religion it really kind of took off after uh, the Emperor Ashoka uh, fought. The, the the battle of kalinga because that after that he kind of developed this missionary zeal to spread uh, he first of all he adopted that religion himself he was a yes. hindu a king yeah. so yeah. he became a buddhist and then he sent his children out his ambassadors out all over the world to spread the buddha's message so uh, and 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 lot of what india is known for today I mean, if you look at Gandhi and nonviolence and yes. cultural pluralism, tolerance, and all of that, somehow links back to to this event in my mind. That you know, this is where it all started, yeah. and 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 in today's date, uh, you know, the uh, the national uh, symbol or the national emblem of India is uh, the four lions of Ashoka. So, yeah. in many oh. ways, uh, oh. Ashoka and Kalinga. Are, uh, linked to Indian history, and that is where my interest kind of uh, came uh, uh, from. And and I thought I should write about it. And when I when I started writing poetry, and I looked at uh, so so if you if you see this poem is written in something known as the ballad meter, which is like fourteen syllables. A lot of uh, it has the sing song style with rhymes and all. Yes, uh, you know a lot of uh, you know. Kipling's work is in is in that style. So uh-huh. I looked at a lot of uh, Indian poets. Also, very few have written something on this subject in English. So uh-huh. I thought, let me give it a shot and uh, see how people respond to it. So that's how that's how it came about. That's wonderful. We were very very impressed by the um, the, the level of you know poetic mastery, because here in America, I think it's a global phenomenon. Um, it's like People have forgotten that poetry is a fine art, so it's supposed to be refined, and you're supposed to pay attention to the the, the level of language you're 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 utilizing in your poem, and and also poetry is a genre in its own right. So musicality plays an important role in poems. So when you don't have that, you don't have a poem. You have prose, and what um your poem actually made us shift we decided to, to we would change our editorial line and publish only poems like that because that's the beauty of poetry i mean if you don't have it <laughs> if you don't have that then you have prose and people talking about their stories and whatever happened in their lives um the other thing that was really really wonderful about your poem is that y- you're not talking about yourself i mean it's not that we don't want to get to know you of course we do. This is why we're having this conversation. But the poetry is about the history of India and a warrior king. And it's elevating. It's not centered around the self. Do you think that it's the tradition of India, which is um, very, very imbibed with mysticism, that led you 
but also I suspect a lot of poets in India to write like that, not to be centered around the self. And also, is it happening in India too? I mean, are people, you know, crushing the genre of poetry and writing about themselves only and, you know, writing like prose? Uh, no, it's interesting. You talked about uh, uh, musicality uh, being a very important musicality, rhyme, rhythm. These are the qualities we associate with uh, poetry traditionally in our mind. In fact, uh, on a separate note, when I was sending out this poem, I was uh, uh, looking for uh, publications uh, yeah. to to kind of send this out. There are so many magazines out there. You would be surprised. Maybe you already know. Yeah. That they yeah, clearly yeah. say that we don't want to have anything to do with rhyme, rhythm, musicality. That's not poetry in our definition. Oh. <laughs> so you know that's a separate debate altogether oh about free verse and all oh, of that. Boy. Uh, so I was really, really happy, thrilled when when uh, when when Revi Revolution accepted uh, this poem. But yeah, coming back to India, I think there is a very distinct tradition uh, going back like centuries of yes. uh, folk music and folk poetry, uh, which has inspired uh, poets uh, down the generations. So yes. if you look at uh, if you, if you look at the part of india and india is a big country it's like a nation of nations so to say mm. so the part of uh, india that i come from or live in that's bengal mm-hmm. which is the eastern part so we speak bengali and we have a very uh, very very well rooted tradition of baul singers so yes uh, so these baul singers are essentially wandering minstrels they you know go from village to village with their yeah. with their one stringed instrument and essentially they they uh, they sing and in exchange of their songs they uh, beg alms from from the village yeah. folk uh-huh. and that's how they survive so they live yeah. very simple lives or they lived very uh, simple lives and the kind of uh, songs they sung or the, the their poetry that was uh, that was very deeply philosophical at some level because they used the language yes. of the, the the vocabulary was very rooted in in the soil, very yes. relatable to the people, but in very simple language they would sing of very very profound truths about about God, about the oneness of all yes. beings, about yes. the universe, and yes. you know stuff like that. So that is that is uh, that is tradition. We also had uh, a tradition of the fisher folk in in Bengal. So Bengal is again a land of rivers. Uh-huh. So the fishermen and and the and the and the boatmen who used to ferry the fisher folk, they have their own tradition uh, of folk music called uh, it's called Bhatiali in Bengali. And and if you look at some of the great Indian poets like Tagore or yes. Kazi Nazrul Islam. Yeah. Uh, their work yeah. has been deeply influenced by by these uh, by the by these uh, folk traditions. I mean, so I I I can read out a couple of lines for you. Yes, you... please go ahead. I, I was talking about uh, Baul. So one of the uh, most uh, famous Bauls in 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 Bengal, yeah. historically famous, is Lalon Fakir. So Lalon is his name, and Fakir is a generic kind of surname uh, attached to every baul singer which fakir essentially means a poor man so every okay. every baul is known as xyz fakir yeah. 
सो सो दिस इज कॉल्ड इन शॉब लोके कॉय लालोन की जात शामचारी व्हिच ट्रांसलेट्स एज दिस दैट एवरीवन आस्क्स लालोन व्हाट्स योर रिलीजन इन दिस वर्ल्ड एंड लालोन आंसर्स व्हाट डज रिलीजन लुक लाइक आई हैव नेवर लेड आइज ऑन इट somewhere malas that is hindu rosaries around their necks yes. others wear tabis that is muslim rosaries and so people say they've got different religions but do you bear the sign of your religion when you come or when you go so uh, this is the kind I of uh, yeah so in a using very very simple vocabulary and idioms you know they will convey something very hard hitting and profound that will will uh, capture a very very universal truth and yeah a lot of contemporary work is inspired if you look at uh, a lot of the uh, music uh, the 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 musical band the rock the pop yes. music that's coming out of india bengal yes. other parts of india every part of india is inspired if you look at punjab which is the western uh, part of india they have their own uh, tradition inspired by uh, their own folk songs bhangra and sufi sufi of yeah. course has yes, has been influencing course. large parts of the world so yeah i mean uh, some some threads of that inspiration uh, possibly may have crept into my work unconsciously yeah. uh, definitely not consciously but yeah there we are it's also the culture of india and beyond the culture of india it's the culture of the philosophical culture of oneness you talked about it and for me poetry is deeply mystical it's 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 not about of course you can write about mundane things and 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 whatever happens in life with a poem but the purpose of poetry is introspection and if it does not get you closer to the inner truth your own inner truth then it's you know I mean it's lost the purpose of it it is lost how did you realize you were a poet well i'm still not sure if i am a poet <laughs> in that sense uh, but uh, see i've been interested in uh, in literature and poetry from a very young age you know yeah. uh, i had a, i had a reading habit inculcated in me uh, particularly by my mother at a very young age so i used to read all sorts of things i i read yes. uh, you know in all genres of books fiction non fiction poetry yeah. etc a okay. lot of it in english so uh, at some point of time i felt that you know uh, there are these great uh, poems which uh, we all remember having either read them in in a, in a kindergarten or not at a an early age yeah. and there is some there is certain quality to poetry which is which makes it very memorable and uh, if you if you um, ask somebody uh, to you know recollect what they have read long back they won't be able to recollect lines from a novel but yes they may yes. be able to recollect uh, some lines from a poem so there yes. is that kind of eternal quality in poetry that yeah. kind of attracted me and i always i have been a reader for much longer and of late i thought let me try my hand at writing Yes. so i i came upon this uh, book of uh, book written by stephen fry 
Yeah. It's called Old Less Traveled. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, sure Stephen Fry. Wonderful yeah. book. So when I, I mean, I, I, I like reading Stephen Fry otherwise as well. So I just happened to pick that book up because it was on on the stalls and and it had Stephen Fry on it. I didn't know what it's about. what it was about but then i started reading it i thought wow i mean he's talk he's trying to teach you how to write poetry and like isn't this what i was always looking for because they don't teach you how to write poetry in school they only teach you how to read and analyze and paraphrase and explain the Absolutely. meanings and inner meanings and so on but they never tell you how to write they never teach you how to do that So and 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 the way Stephen Fry takes you through step by step, it makes it seem so easy, yeah. like a cakewalk. So yes. yeah, I, I'm, that was the starting point, and then 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 it was then thereafter it was about picking up a theme or a subject here and and that you like, and then start writing, and then uh, writing one more and more, and then you know getting better at it. Mm-hmm. So I would say I'm still. in the early stages of this uh, journey yeah. and yeah let's see where this goes the early stages of your journey are pretty awesome <laughs> that's a great beginning oh. so <laughs> in france we have there's this tradition of um i call them the sacred triad baudelaire rimbaud and hugo victor hugo And mm-hmm. so at school, what you described is true. When we were at school, you are taught that poetry is basically these three guys and some others like Vigny and stuff. But yeah. Right. And so if you don't, you have to live up to the expectations of their writing. Otherwise, you're not a poet. And at some point I found out this, you know, it, it was like, like a dictature or something. I was like, why? Why can I just... just write my poems and be a poet but somehow my own spiritual life led me to that i'm an initiate of a tradition uh, a spiritual tradition of kashmiri shaivism and so okay. we have yeah mm. and so we th- there's this tradition of master and disciple which means that you do not become a mystic like that you know you have to be trained into that Absolutely. and when i thought about poetry i thought it was the same You have to be trained in poetry and you have to have masters you look up to in poetry. Otherwise, you're just doing nonsense. So in the beginning, it was very, very difficult for me to accept that because everybody was busy doing something else. And then I realized that what France is actually doing, and I suspect a few European countries as well. Um, I'm thinking about Germany, who was also a tradition of great poets and uh even more than Germany, because the Germans are more, you know, they're more cerebral. But um, I'm thinking of Italy. I suspect that you do not enter into poetry like that. You do not call yourself a poet like that because you have to live up to the expectations of the masters, the, the, the Dante, the Hölderlin, the, all these people. In fact, there's another book I would recommend. It's called An Introduction to English Poetry. It's a little book by James Fenton. Okay. Wow. And uh, yeah. along similar lines like Stephen Fry, but uh, Stephen Fry is a slightly thicker one. So it takes a bit yeah. of a time to yeah. get through it. Uh, but this one's also good. And yeah, I, I, I really agree with uh, what you're saying because uh, a lot of the poetry that you see, because after starting to write and getting into this thing of uh, sending to journals, etc. for publishing, uh, yes. I realized that 
a lot of the work that go i mean poetry is being uh, increasingly treated as something which does not require any training yes. it's no longer a craft it's no longer an art it's no longer mm. a skill that needs to be developed mm. it, there, there's a thought and i don't maybe there there is a merit to that thought that uh, it's just an outpouring of what you're thinking about and you know any structure or any 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 uh, any rules that you yes. put around your writing kind of inhibits uh, that free flow and hence you should just write without thinking about uh, any rules of the craft yeah. uh, but i i personally don't subscribe to that you know i mean if mm-hmm. if you read a lot of the things that you find on instagram you will find that is this a poem or is this a quote or yeah. is this just a passing wisp of thought i mean how do you categorize this is it even literature so because yeah i mean i think the it's 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 an art form in fact yes. uh, um uh so um, i don't know if i told you this but i was trained as an architect so uh, uh i started yeah, architecture yeah you wrote it in your bio yeah yeah i wrote that in my bio so we had this professor uh he's, he was a design professor he's he's no more now who used to uh, talk about these uh uh these these uh, various levels of uh, abstraction when it comes to art oh yeah wonderful so he he would say that um, when he would talk, when he would teach design he would say that you know architecture uh is at the relatively the lowest level of abstraction because uh you can uh, see it i mean there, there's a visual aspect to it there is a tactile aspect to it which is you can feel it and there's a spatial aspect to it you can yes. roam around and experience yes. it so 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 the designer has so many tools to convey what he or she wants to convey so the next level or the next higher level of abstraction he would say is sculpture because there it's it, there's a visual aspect and you can also maybe feel the statue that that is there and uh, then the next level is painting which is uh, there's only visual aspect so you only have the visual medium to communicate your thought uh, and 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 that is how much limited your tools uh, become uh, and and then he would say that the highest level of abstraction is poetry because you don't have the visual wow. element you don't have the tactile element or the touch and feel or experience uh, element as well uh, the spatial element is missing so all you have is words through which you have to uh, convey an image and yeah. that makes the craft of the poet uh, that much more difficult i wouldn't yes. say superior to any of the other i mean each yes. has its uh, I mean, each each is unique in its own but yes. that makes it that much more difficult and and, yes. and therefore it it should by definition require a lot of training i mean to be an architect you need to train for 5 years in in a design school or an yeah. engineering school yeah but uh, poetry uh, there is no uh, training for it uh, i mean so no training so prescribed for it yeah yeah so far what do you think about the myth of the cursed poet the cursed artist the cursed writer you know the the, the guy who is really dark and the deep thinker not in not deep in philosophical depth but deep in depression you know because people see writers like that what do you think about that 
interesting how you exp- uh, I, in fact uh, it takes me back to my college days like i said i was an architecture student so yes. uh, uh, we were in this campus in calcutta where we were part of the um, engineering uh, part of the campus and uh, there was another end of the entire campus uh, where the arts faculty was housed where you yeah. had students from philosophy sociology yeah. all the fine arts and humanities and if you would stroll along on a evening towards that side of the campus you would find typically the kind of creatures you describe that and, and in 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 bengal it's like they'll have long beards and they'll be smoking pot or something yes. or lying <laughs> in some corner of <laughs> corner of the lawn or on, in some dark shaded uh, area and kind of wasting away their lives and so on and yes Yeah I mean uh, that's just I I mean it's not just a stereotype a lot of it is true because uh I mean uh, creativity is not uh, at least uh, the kind of uh, creativity that a poet or, or an artist kind of espouses is not uh, very remunerative in our society at yeah. least that's definitely yeah. true for India Absolutely So uh and a lot of the creative people they come from very humble backgrounds i mean very simple families middle class homes mm-hmm. and um, unless they have a a backup in terms of uh, some other skill which can help them earn their mm-hmm. daily bread yeah. it's very difficult to continue to survive uh, Uh, as a purely creative person i mean how yes. many of us can become that famous uh, poet who will get invited to seminars and poetry readings and conferences yes. i mean yes. i mean a lot of so that is the that is the unfortunate truth and i think uh, uh society uh, it's the situation i would guess is much better in the western world where there is a greater oh. appreciation of the fine arts and humanities in general yeah. in india even today uh, i mean it could be a feature uh, it could be a characteristic of the developing part of the world that uh, the thrust uh, of education is still on the stem sciences or, i mean the stem discipline which is engineering and science and yeah. technology yes. and so yes. on so most of the funding most of the good jobs etc the big goes pay packets yeah. goes to the these uh, the, the, these disciplines so and somebody is studying fine arts or literature uh, unless he or she uh, has an inclination towards academics and becomes wants to become a teacher yes. or a professor yeah uh, purely by you know selling your art uh, you can't really make a living Yeah. unless i yeah. mean you are blessed with some godfathers in that particular space yes uh, and that is where much of the, the the depression and the gloominess comes from yeah that's uh yeah that's a a great explanation for this um what you said that it's uh, probably better in in uh in the west in the western world I, yeah i'm i'm not sure it uh it looks better but the west has created this awful awful thing which is celebrity and and fame and entertainment you know and so um what i have i, I wrote a tiny book about it uh but what i what i found out is that most of the po- most of the the singers and songwriters and you know the people who are in the in the 
in the light right now when they're famous. A lot of them are poets. But um, right. some of them are frauds, obviously, but a lot of them are poets among the singers. And, you know, you that's the only thing that's left for you in the West. If you if you love language and music and, you know, you you don't know exactly why, but you feel that it's your calling. The academia is somehow inaccessible to a lot of us. And this is also because poets are seeking freedom. So the academia is very traditional and a poet, it's right. typical for a poet to thrive in the academia. So what's left for you? I mean, either you, you find a nine to five and, and, and because poetry is a calling and it's deeply existential, you're going to just not destroy yourself, but maybe your your creativity is going to be dimmer and dimmer and then, you know, that's it. Or you go for it and you you want to walk on stage and, and then suddenly you become this pop star and then, and then people love you. And then it's so stupid because this, this whole machine crushes you and now you start doing drugs. Now you start destroying yourself with all kinds of irresponsible behaviors. So I think the West has, has um, found a very putrid way of dealing with poets. And it's a, either you want to make it and you become famous or you don't and, you know, just to hell with you. Yes, societies, human societies are definitely not made for us, like really. And this is also true for artists. You know, we are, I often say that poets and artists are one. They're just um, experiencing creativity and, 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 and the quest for oneness at different stages of their journey. But it's the right. same thing. I mean, if you want to become an artist, what's going to happen to you? No one's going to care unless you come from a family uh, where there's, there's wealth and you can do um, some kind of fine art school and you can. And yeah. And like you said, you have you have a godfather that, you know, who can support you. But otherwise, it's very, very difficult. So that's also, uh, I think, the reason why we, we, we just uh we just lose it. <laughs> you know, you know, Muriel. Uh, one of the reasons uh, I was just thinking, uh, uh, why, uh, why, why has the, has it come to this pass that you know people are uh, kind of hang in their hankering or struggle for fame? Yeah. These poets yeah. or artists are kind of just falling by the wayside. I think it's uh, the sponsorship is a big issue because if you look at the golden age of poetry at least if you look at uh, the history of india you would have these uh, court musicians and court poets uh -huh. who would uh, be associated with these uh, you know courts of these rajas and maharajas yes. and, and a lot of lot of these urdu poets that we know of like mirza galib or mir these these people came up purely because of royal patronage because they really didn't have to think about where their next uh, uh, square meal would come from uh -huh. uh, because uh, yeah. because the, the the king would pay for that, Absolutely. and he would just have to be in the court and just uh, you know uh, compose a few lines whenever the the king or the emperor wishes to hear. Even uh, 
Hindustani classical music, which is the ancient Indian tradition of music, it yeah. also flourished in in that uh, in, in 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 that form because we have these oh, gharanas mm. of music, which are essentially yeah. uh, each gharana represents in some way the court of some particular uh, king. Uh, but you know, with with uh, in contemporary times, of course, these kingdoms and these rajas and maharajas, these patrons have withered away. Yeah. There, there. And in, in in modern society, uh, a modern government uh, has many different priorities, particularly yes. if you look at a country like India, patronizing art, uh, patronizing poetry is yes. possibly very low on their priority list. I'm not yes. saying that they, they don't do anything to support. But of course, I mean, uh, that is one reason where uh, every artist now is on his own to search mm-hmm. either for a godfather like we mm, said or if true. you don't find one then it's so a struggle all the way up uh, if, if uh-huh. you if you can make it uh, to the pyramid and it's very competitive yes it it's is very competitive. my god yeah it is i, I mean uh, uh, to get uh, if you're a singer to get a, a, a break in bollywood which is our version of Hollywood, so to say, yes, uh, the Hindi yes. film industry. Yeah. I mean, there are so many talented singers out there, uh, well-trained and uh, and really, really talented. But uh, how many of them get their Make first it. break? It's very difficult. And you mm-hmm. hear these such horror stories of what people need to go through to get their first um, break, what kind of favors, uh, yeah. what kind of favors, they, I mean, uh, all yeah, sorts of dark and dingy stuff. So, yeah. so that is the unfortunate uh, reality. Uh, yeah. Maybe not, uh, and some of it may be true for poets as well. I mean, yes. unless you're commercially successful, if you are a commercially yes. successful poet, uh, you know, it's great. I mean, everybody is hankering to publish you, uh, no matter what you write, right? Yes. And there are so many <laughs> examples, some yeah. of them of Instagram poets whom we yeah, will not my name. Yeah, God, Instagram poets. <laughs> Uh, so, wow! But there's such great work which just doesn't get published. I remember when I was on social media. I'm no longer on social media. I mean, um, we have a, a that's a good a, decision. I dropped it. I said, "No, come on. What? What is? What is this place?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instagram poets. They were often talking about poetry as word vomiting, which a verbal I diarrhea. Found, that's another. Part. Yeah, for, yeah. Which I I found like. It's awful. And I was wondering, my God, do you realize what, you, what you're saying? There's nothing beautiful in vomiting. I mean, it means that you, you're not well and you need a cure. And poetry is supposed to elevate, you know, to conjure feelings of beauty and, and awe, you know, in the, the tr- transcendental sense. And so they were like, yeah. But it's word vomiting. And they were using poetry like to simply um, unburden themselves with all right. the negativity and the depression. And, and so this, you know, obviously led to very bad poetry and, and, and also very aggressive poetry. But I understand that it's a level of pain that they are into. But the fact that poets are not trained into poetry is a huge problem. And this is also why, you know, I created Revue Révolution because I wanted to 
like in a subtle way, but we're becoming less subtle because we have online courses now. So it's less <laughs> subtle. But in the beginning, I was like, no, I'm not going to do this like that because people, they won't, you know, they won't get it and maybe they'll be offended. So, but I wanted to show people, to remind people what poetry is. And it's difficult for, I, I understand that life is difficult, but I mean, life is difficult for everyone, not only for poets. I mean, you have to, you have to get over it at some point. It's not because you're a poet that, you know, life is supposed to treat you better. Life is, it's human life. It's a struggle. And you have to find why this is happening to you and, and, and be brave about it and live your life. So that's it. And so, yeah, I, I, I get carried away with that subject because it's, it's uh, Instagram poetry is such a problem because it prevents talented poets from being seen. The publishing industry, as far as poetry is concerned, is also publishing poets on Instagram uh, who have more followers. So the criteria for getting published is not necessarily about uh, good quality of work. Okay. But uh, what are the chances that this particular book will sell? Because XYZ Poet has more followers than another one who maybe writes great stuff, you know, yes. very well-trained, profound poet, but has no followers. So so the, so the quality of evaluation, is, and in fact, uh, the, the point you made about uh, this verbal vomiting, Yes. And the other book I referred to by James Fenton, he talks about this, that he compares it with music. He says the same poets, uh, the same people who extol the virtues of this kind of poetry, uh, when it comes to their taste in music, will they ever listen to a song that's out of tune or really bad? Uh So they won't. So you 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 do not hold poetry to the same standards that you hold any other. Uh, I mean, you can still do your de-stressing and catharsis using yes. uh, music. But if it's bad music, if it's cacophony, if it's out of tune, if it makes no sense, if there's no rhythm in it, then you're not going to enjoy it, right? It's it's um, not even going to sell. Very interesting. Uh, so, yeah. so why shouldn't poetry have the same standards? Very interesting. Yeah, that's a great point you made. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. And I mean, that's, a, I think, a, a problem of, a, you know, perception. And, and, and also, uh, so you talked about being trained into poetry, but there's also the existential training. It's like, uh, from what I'm able to see, and, you know, we no longer receive Instagram poetry, because now the editorial line of the review is very, very I mean, it's clear, you're not going to submit to the Revolution if you're an Instagram poet. But uh, we still receive a lot of poems which are like that, you know, with a, a lot of anger and the, the word vomiting. And and um, besides the training and the lit, uh, literary training, there's also the existential training. It's like poets don't want life to teach them anymore. It's, so everything is supposed to be the way they want to. And when it's not like that, they get offended and they write poetry and they submit the poetry and to hell with it. So it's like um, one of the poets I have interviewed in, um, in a previous episode talks about diary poems. Right. It's like you're, you know, you're, you're, you're writing self. for yourself. Yes, you're writing for yourself, but you want everything to participate in that. In that, yeah, exactly. you know, little thing you're doing with yourself. And no, I mean, it's, it's, it's not going to work. So the existential part of poetry, for me, I, I, I link, we talked about that in the beginning. Poetry is, 
it is deeply spiritual and it is deeply philosophical. And if you don't want existence to train you, you will never be a poet. You can label yourself a poet as you want, but ultimately it's the divine trained poet. And so if you don't have that, the divine, the absolute life, whatever you want to call it, but if you don't have the humility, you know, this, this um, humble attitude toward, towards the calling, towards life, towards your own self, because you think you know who you are. You think you know that you are your emotions and you are the body and stuff. But the truth is, I mean, we're not going to talk about, we're not going to go there, but obviously you are not that or you're greater than that or something else or something completely other than that. And if you don't have the um, courage to accept that you are going to find out, why would you even begin to write poetry in the first place? It's going to be bad poetry. Uh, see, I think uh, emotions uh, are a very important part of the creative process. Uh, yeah. And the best way to... Uh, best way to i mean uh, deal with emotion is to transform it into in, into your work so that it is reflected into your work but uh, at the same time uh, you know uh, linking back to what we were discussing earlier if uh, your work is purely a, a, a kind of uh, download of your emotions or your feelings in the sense in the here and now yeah. which may not have any relevance to anybody else in the world then that's not good poetry right yeah. so yeah. if 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 it's an emotion that uh, speaks to something higher and kind of elevates the reader to a higher plane uh, of thinking even yes. for a brief moment you know yes. for the few minutes that yes. uh, they are reading a poem if they sit back and wonder for those few minutes, okay, so this is something that the poet is talking about. Yeah, there, there lies some possible truth there. There is something I can learn from it. That is something I am deeply moved by. Then, then that is good writing. But if I feel like, okay, so this, this, this poet is talking about how she uh, felt after. Uh, you know, her breakup or, or something else and then how she dealt with it. Okay, well and good. I mean, a lot of people go through it. That's part of life. We deal with yeah. it. So what, yeah. what is she talking? What is she trying to talk about? So yeah. is there a, a bigger, bigger story that you are telling people? Is there a higher truth that you yes. are speaking to through your, through your work, through your emotions? Uh, I think that 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 makes um, all all the difference. Yes, yes, it does. Yes, definitely. And um, when you write a poem, how do you know when to stop? So I, oh, I think uh, in, in the in the question in the you know the question because the interview is really really smooth and I I don't have to think I don't <laughs> have to read the questions that I sent you, um, but uh, you know there's a, a line about harmony and stuffa and. So how how do you how do you know when now the per, the poem is harmonious and the music is perfect and the language is perfect the emotion is right and the story is right and it's time for me to release it. 
so see knowing when to stop uh, also i think comes partly from you uh, uh, approaching poetry uh, through uh, in the classical sense of you know trying to write in a particular form so form brings that yes. kind of a oh, uh, set yeah. of boundaries to your writing and and you know while the free verse uh, champions would say that you know boundaries are bad you know break apart all boundaries and it's a free world and all of that <laughs> but i i think uh, uh, these these boundaries these uh, little frameworks of fences that you put around your work whether it's in terms of the meter the length of the poem the number of words syllables lines etc uh, that helps you to channelize your creativity at least it in in my case yes. it helps me to channelize my thought and creativity uh, and tells me that yes these are the boundary conditions these are the parameters these are the extent yes. to which i can write and i have mm. to tell what i want to tell the reader within mm. these many words or syllables yeah. so uh so a lot of lot of the poetry i i mean i i started writing uh, i mean ashoka is of course a much longer poem because yeah. uh, the 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 subject demanded something uh, 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 it demanded it to be longer but lot of the yeah. poetry i started writing uh, were sonnets because i found yes. that yeah these these are like the perfect form in in the sense that you you have to stay within 14 lines and uh, within those 14 lines i think uh, you get enough uh, play or uh, mm-hmm. flexibility mm-hmm. to express one emotion or one thought and mm-hmm. also enable the the reader to reflect on 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 that thought and yeah. and and that helps me to kind of uh, know when to stop know when to yeah. stop and if i have if i'm picking up a more more expansive exploratory theme where i need to uh, i mean something like ashoka i think uh, you know uh, you you know when to stop when uh, you, uh, in my case uh, if uh, once you have uh, conveyed uh, the 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 gist of of the story this is this was more yes. ashoka was more of a narrative poem in the sense yes. right so the narrative yes. will obviously come to an end in its course yes so so that yeah. tells you that yes this is where the narrative has come to an end and go back and see if you have said all that you needed to say beyond the narrative or the facts that you yes. wanted to talk about and uh, that's when you know that yes this is this is where i stopped Uh-huh uh-huh very interesting um most of us don't really uh we're not able to, e- to explain i mean for some of us for those of us who are interested in 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 formal poetry yeah in forms we're not really um aware of the reason why formal poetry is is good but you just explained why it's because it structures uh your your what you're trying to say um this this is a beautiful insight really yeah. i so mean possibly uh, some i mean some of it uh, i mean for me also comes from my uh, training in architecture because there yes it's it's uh, i mean there we say that form follows function uh-huh. so uh, your boundary conditions are this. the functions of the spaces that you know uh-huh. whatever you design whatever takes your fancy as a designer uh, you have to 
you have to ensure that this activity needs to be served if if you're designing yeah. an auditorium yeah. it needs to seat so many people it yes. has to have these many facilities these different yes. types of rooms and this yeah. is the space available to you you don't have infinite amount of land Yeah. Uh, so and 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 from those boundary conditions uh, come the the creative uh, uh, creative uh, aspects of your work yeah. and 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 that makes you know architecture so much uh, more interesting absolutely absolutely you just reminded me of something i read about sri arobindo uh, one of his yeah. disciples um i think was asking a question about uh, freedom and he wanted to be free and and he, he felt he wasn't free in the family or something or at work <laughs> arvindo told him but why do you want freedom <laughs> which which i think that it's just just wonderful it's a great question and it's also a great question to ask poets who are writing in free verse like why do you want it because it's in at fact, some point uh, yeah yeah no maybe if i could just uh... Uh, since i had this book by stephen fry uh, in front of me uh, there there's one line in his uh, in in his in his introductory chapter yes. so he say and he's discussing exactly the same uh, issue that we are talking about the three uh-huh. verse and structure so he says mankind can live free mankind can live free in a society hemmed in by laws but we have yet to find a historical example of mankind living free in lawless anarchy Oh, if you, that's so a what he's saying is, if you want freedom, the prerequisite is structure. Yeah, there cannot a- be any freedom absolutely. without structure. Oh wow, beautiful! Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you said everything, and and so Stephen Fry. Uh, so did Stephen Fry. Um, the the question of of freedom is something that's. very tacky uh, um in the beginning we were receiving a lot of and we still receive a lot of free verse and it was difficult to move away from that i knew i wanted to move away from that but this was the core of what i was receiving free verse and free verse and free verse so some of them were um interesting you know but interesting like um from a logical perspective only and some of them were interesting because americans are um they love stories so everything that you write has to be some kind of a story and so it was difficult for me to just um let them know that you have to go beyond story i'm talking about american poets because the the um, the people who submit to revue revolution the poets who submit to revue revolution are mostly americans and so it was difficult for me to tell them but you have to go beyond the story because if it's just a story about you and and it's not rhyming and you know and and there's not beyond rhyme you know there's not the technical aspect of poetry then yeah i mean you you don't have to write about it you can just You, know, you can just talk to a friend it's so why is it and and i felt that a lot of the free verse i receive and we receive that and i often talk a lot about um about that with um both my uh co-editors it's just that it's not structured and it's a story and it goes everywhere so Yeah, I had a cat and then my cat died. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got depressed. 
And then I said, I want to write a poem about it, but I can, this is true story. I received something like that. Some of them, they write um, things like, oh, you know, uh, I used to be uh, this, uh, uh, I used to be a CEO in a major company. And when I, uh, when I lost my job, I realized that poetry was my calling. And so, yeah, I mean, it's really, uh, so it's a case, you know, for what you're saying, like you want freedom for, for what? Because once you have it, it's just anarchy. It's just, uh, doesn't go anywhere. No, in fact, sometimes you, you wonder, I mean, you, you're reading, I have a cat and the cat died. And then I looked out of the window and there was a dog and etc. Then you yeah. start wondering, you finish reading the, poem and then you start wondering am i foolish because i didn't understand what this was yes, about yes oh yeah <laughs> that's wonderful yeah okay so yeah in the the other member of my um of the editorial team is a silent member and is actually our patron it's my husband and so okay. he is a, a, a mathematician and so sometimes i share poems with him you know the poems i receive and he said i didn't get it what was it <laughs> What's the story? And I said, I don't know. I thought that you would get it. You know, I said, no, I, I don't know. I don't understand. So, yeah, you, you don't get it. And it's like um, the, the poet who's actually writing this poetry doesn't, or this text doesn't, just um, like you said, the, you said the form needs to follow the function, right? right. But it's like they, they don't know what the function is. What's the function Absolutely. of that poem you just sent me? No, in, in fact, yeah, I mean, that's uh, sadly true. And if you look at some of these uh, famous uh, poetry publications and journals, yes. you know, which are like, which are like the, the, the supposed to be the gold standard in poetry. Yeah. Uh, at least, I mean, more than 90% of what uh, they, they publish is along these lines. You know, maybe there is some profound truth uh, to those that kind of poetry, which uh, you know, some of us like you and I are yet to approach that level of transcendence <laughs> where we can interpret and appreciate. I, I mean, yeah. Uh, but yeah. really, I mean, uh, this approach, I mean, this attitude of saying that all of what has come before is really uh, uh, not poetry, and we are going to define poetry by saying that, you know, poetry is something which is not these, these things. It's a negative definition. So what is yes. your, what is their definition of poetry then? Yes. If you look at the, the, the submission guidelines in some of these websites, they'll say it cannot have form, it cannot have meter, it cannot have rhyme, it cannot be uh, in, in a traditional uh, form, it cannot be X, Y, Z. But what can it be then? <laughs> I mean, instead, <laughs> what can it be? I mean, what is your definition of poetry? Yes. So that is that. That's the thing to wonder. Uh, I mean, yeah, maybe maybe this is also uh, like fashion. You know, these things come and go. Yeah. So uh, there are good, good, uh, good, good websites and and platforms which promote uh, meaningful uh, poetry. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one doesn't mean to sound uh, elitist or something, but uh, if, uh, if 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 poetry, if, if the kind of poetry that you publish is not memorable, if somebody cannot yes. recollect after reading that this yeah. is the, at least these are one or two lines that I remember, yeah. then what was it about? I mean, yeah. why did why yeah. did you publish it? 
Yeah, yeah, so true, so true. When I started the review, I, in fact, I had a dream when I was 19 years old, and I wanted to create a literary review just like the Romantics in the 19th century. You know, it was a very vivid century in Europe in terms of literary creation. And literature was really good. Poetry was really good. And for me, it seems like we we are uh, on a, you know, downward spiral ever since the Industrial Revolution because people are now obsessed with matter and, and, and controlling it. So poetry suffered from that. The art suffered from that. So I wanted to create a review like, you know, the, this tradition of... The, highly romantic and highly learned poets from the 19th century. And so the equivalent for that in French is um, in, in, uh, une revue de poésie savante, which is like for erudites. I have also observed that poets are usually extremely talented and they don't, they don't know it. The fact that poets are really talented is something that you, I mean, you are proof of that yourself. You are an architect, you've been trained in architecture, and and there's a lot of philosophical depth also in your poems. So, you know, there's the philosophical tradition as well. And being a poet, you are obviously an artist. It's just that you, you, you don't need canvas. It's been refined to uh, such a level that you don't need canvas and, and colors and paintings anymore and you're able to conjure images with the mind, with the, the word. But, um, do, do you think that being a poet is connected or linked to erudition and, and you know, being a polymath, which is the equivalent now? In, in America, everybody talks about polymaths, so that's mm. fine, I'm using the word. But do you think that there's a link between being a poet and being extremely gifted. Um, see, uh, there is possibly some link because uh, if you, again, if I were to look at uh, in my immediate context uh, from the place where I come from, uh, we've all heard of uh, Ramindranath Tagore, right? So, yes. so he's. Yeah. So, so, polymath, so, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, most of uh, most of the people in, in West know him for uh, uh, his collection of poems, which gave him the Nobel Prize, which was like yes. Gitanjali. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, like you said, he he was a polymath. He 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 was uh, he was a he was a painter. He was an artist. He yes. uh, he he uh, he was a songwriter. He was yeah. a playwright. Yeah. He was a novelist, uh, yeah. short story writer. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, he he's done. He 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 founded Shantiniketan, which is essentially a university founded on his principles of uh, reviving ancient uh, Gurukul system of learning. Uh -huh, so, uh -huh, uh -huh. so in that sense, he was an educationist and a nation builder as well. And he had a great interest in science. So very yes. famously, he met with uh, Albert Einstein, yeah. and they had uh, they had this famous dialogue. And he even wrote, uh, he even wrote. I mean, just to uh, you know, harp on the point of the extent of erudition that that somebody like him had, he wrote a book on popular science. So who would know that Ravindranath Tagore? Wrote a book on popular I science that was called oh. "An Introduction to the Universe." So, which is which is the title in Bengali? Translate. I mean, in Bengali, it's Vishva Parichay. It's essentially introduction to the universe, uh -huh. where he talks about his understanding of 
comets and uh, you know galaxies and planets wow. and solar systems oh, and, uh, and all of that uh, and he inscribes that book to a person called satyendranath bose who was another scientist uh, uh, a contemporary of einstein yeah. uh, so 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 a, a very fascinating person uh, tagore was and yes uh, a uh, lot of poets a lot of great poets have been polymaths at least they have had a diverse set of interests uh, yes if you look at uh, i mean uh, i mean there are so many examples yeah. uh, but uh, is it a prerequisite to being a good poet maybe not i mean there are equal yeah. number of examples where a poet has been only a poet possibly and not yeah. many other things Yes. but uh, this much is sure that if you have a diverse set of interests that uh, about what is happening around you in a, in a diverse set of fields or subjects i think that yeah. informs your uh, creative work your your writing in a way that it it makes it more it, it makes it more uh, sensitive and uh, uh, of uh, of greater value uh, to the reader because yeah, it becomes sure. that much more timeless because yes. you are writing from uh, not only from uh, your uh, expertise as a poet in the sense uh, as a craftsman of poetry yes. but you're also bringing your knowledge of so many other things yes, of uh, yeah. into your writing so so that your work is that much more unique yeah. uh, in in, yeah. in that sense yes it's true and yeah about the fact that it's um, it's not a prerequisite um my intuition about that is that poetry leads you to that so you can be just a regular poet like a regular dude writing poetry and and because you're working with you know language which is the uh, one of the basic element of consciousness obviously you are going to you know your your intellect would want to venture at some point in all kinds of intellectual disciplines and science and music and and so but it's true that uh this is something that I admire a lot in poets myself i i the the, the intellectual flexibility and 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 the interest in various subjects and the interest of what it means to be human really that's the that's the all the wealth there is in poetry is uh, c- comes from that and maybe some um, from other some other dimension but yeah and and uh, if you had a, uh, a an advice uh, for a younger poet what would that be uh see uh... well i i would first of all advise young poets not to seek my advice <laughs> because <laughs> i might not i might not I be uh, best positioned or placed to advise them but uh, from my own uh, personal experience i think if you want to be a good poet a successful poet you f- definitely need to read more poetry uh read the good the, read the great masters in poetry and mm-hmm. certainly mm-hmm. not have this attitude that you know i Absolutely. know all and my my thoughts and feelings are the ultimate guide for my poetry and i don't need mm-hmm. any anybody else to tell mm-hmm. me that's because poetry i believe is is a craft it needs to be learned yes. uh, i mean you can bring your own style when you start uh, writing but at least know what has come before you yes and uh, 
if you, if if you read more poetry you will understand the various uh, ways in which people have expressed uh, thoughts ideas and emotions through poetry so yes. that will bring that will give you a greater bandwidth if i may use that word yeah sure when yeah. you start writing yourself when you start yeah. writing yourself so uh, yeah and uh, um i think yeah that's the that's the only piece of advice uh, i would uh, give i mean uh, beyond that fame and everything uh, at least see, uh, in my case uh, poetry uh, is something it it's like it's still like a hobby which is possibly evolving into something more than a hobby because i have a separate day job which yes. is different from writing poetry uh so uh, i think that helps also and i i could uh, mm. put that in uh, as an advice as well that uh do not rely on poetry uh yeah build a a a a a, a different skill set which can help you through life yes yes and uh, because it it's it's a difficult journey and uh, yes Uh, and yeah and uh, cultivate cultivate that hobby uh, bring uh, evolve it into something more than a hobby if you become professional if you can uh, click as a professional poet nothing nothing like it yeah yeah that's a yeah great advice it reminds me of my um uh, so my co-editor in chief for the arts her name is maria linares freire she's an artist and uh, she talked about that in the the first interview uh we had she said um so she's a chef and she right. she said um i uh i'm a free artist i i have a job and the job is very grounding and i need that job you know to 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 be free to create in my in my art um my art practice so yeah um having a job that's nothing to do with poetry is or or art is also very very soothing and it's important for the poet because yeah it grounds you when you need that that's it's, it's like a safety net as well it's it's a safety net as well yeah 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 it's a safety net yeah uh this has been a lovely conversation i have one last question for you who is your favorite archetype uh, or mythological symbol and why well uh that's a tough question um i would i would say uh, uh since you talk about mythology if i can go back to the the indian epics uh, yes. in 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 mahabharata that is yes. one of the two great epics in the indian tradition the yes. the other being other being ramayana yeah. um i would say uh uh my my archetype would be krishna uh-huh. uh because uh-huh. uh, uh he is he he is a god essentially he is yes. supposed to be a divine being who is placed into that story in human form yes uh, but he is not your typical uh, god because he's a mm-hmm. wily character yeah. and in in if you were to if you were to study the mahabharata using using today's lens you would possibly uh, characterize him even as a villain because he's scheming he's cunning uh he uses all sorts of devices to uh get his way through change the course of 
events uh, change the course of the war that is being yes. uh, fought there but end of the day when uh, when this character called arjuna who is his kind of protege yes. is a disciple yes. so yes. he's very idealistic and, yeah. and every time krishna tells him that you know you do this and do that you know pull a fast one on him and do this and that arjuna asks him that you know uh, how can you advise me to do that because this is not idealistic this is not ethical how can i do that what about karma is it is not moral and yeah. then krishna this is typical a uh, characteristic uh, you know smile and snigger will kind of respond to that saying oh you know i am god and so whatever i say is right that's uh, rule number 1 and uh, rule number 2 is refer back to rule number 1 <laughs> in a sense uh, so and uh, end of the day it's like you know uh, everything that you do as long as the ends are uh, uh, noble uh, yes. the means are justified so that's yeah. his mantra yeah. Yeah. in a sense so even if you don't have to take the straight line but meander yes. here and there as long as the road takes you to uh, the right destination uh, take the road so this is interesting character and i would say uh, there's a lot to uh, learn from uh, yes. the way he is portrayed in the in the epics because it, yeah. the, the various shades of human character really come out if you look mm-hmm. at some of the uh, western epics uh, so to say uh, yes. uh, there are very very plain characters like either pure evil or purely devious or, or pure great serene absolutely yeah uh, uh, yeah but uh, krishna is somebody who has many shades to his character and you can't yeah. really put him in a box yeah. i think that that is I what uh, that is what humanity is about you know nobody yes. can be put in a box absolutely. you respond to situations uh, you sometimes need to be good you sometimes need to be bad Yes. Uh, even though you know something is right you need to do a wrong yes so, yeah that would be krishna would be my archetype so to say from that's mythology that's a wonderful that's a wonderful answer my god <laughs>